It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk. We are with you until 11 o'clock today. The phone line is open, 356-9397. Mr. Lauren B. Tate is up and at him this morning in the studio. Good morning, Coach. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. We don't have any Illinois basketball. Well, we'll talk Illinois basketball, but no uh, game to talk about until tomorrow night, and we'll get into that as we move along. But uh, a lot of people still... Um, Kind of um, marveling about the first half, second half situation oh, at uh, Northwestern. 53-13. I'll never forget those numbers. Yeah, they outscored somebody by 40 points in the second half. I was doing a little research on, this is a ballpark figure, on the number of Illinois basketball games that you have covered. Oh, my. It's 1,600 and something, and I've is covered about 1,200. <laughs> 1200. And we've all seen, we've both seen, Many comebacks of different kinds. But just think, I saw all the home games for four years when I was in school. True. And then I saw a whole bunch of games before I, for I 11 years before I came back here. So we're talking 3,000 games between us. <laughs> <laughs> At least. And, uh, and there's been Never some. Never been one like that. <laughs> no, there's been some better comebacks, I would guess. Uh, I mean, obviously, there was more on the line in the Arizona game when they came from 15 down in the last four and a half minutes. But that extreme, to be 15 down and win by 25. You know, though, within about two minutes, we realized it was a game. When they went eight, on that 8-0 run, mm-hmm. and that was when Collins may have outguessed himself, Steve. He switched to a he switched to a zone. When that score was about 15-13 to 13 early, he switched to his zone, and Illinois just went dead. And then and they got that nice 15-point lead at halftime, and then he came out the second half and went back to man-to-man, and Illinois got eight quick points. And then, of course, he went back to the zone, but now Illinois had some momentum. And maybe it would have happened anyway, but um, I think he probably uh, questions himself now that it's over, second guess, that maybe he should have stayed in the zone the whole time. Because Illinois was really struggling. Well, they had 11 turnovers in the first half oh, yeah. against the zone. Yeah, a lot a of really lazy pass. They tried to pass over the zone. That didn't work. And uh, Well, the passes into Kofi weren't working. Right. They had at least four lobs in there. that he And, and he mishandled a couple himself. Yeah, so. yeah. he contributed. Yeah. We've got uh, a guest lineup, four guests today for you, coming up at 9.15, Ryan Walters. He is the new Illinois football defensive coordinator. He will join us at 9.30, Brad Sturdy. Talk some Illinois basketball with him. More Illinois and Big Ten basketball talk at 10 with Jess Settles from uh, BTN. Mid-Illini golf coach Mike Small will join us at 10.30. Plenty of time for an open line in between. Let's go to the phones. And up first uh, today is Alan in uh, Montrose. Go ahead, Alan. Good morning. Morning, guys. I've got approximately 3,000 games in my lifetime to either listening or watching the games. Uh I think I figured out how, after all those games, how you win games. 
you get down to 15, and then, then you got them where you want them. Because uh, <laughs> Purdue did the same thing last night. Yeah, they were down yeah. 31 to 16 at the half at Michigan State, and uh, kind of a different kind of circumstances there for those two games. But uh, as far as the total point scored, they they had to grind one out, and they were able to do that. But uh, you may be onto something, except I don't think uh, I don't fans wanna... or coaches want to deal with that every night. No, uh, but I'll never see the rest of my lifetime that kind of a game like uh, the other night. I do remember being down almost 30 against Clemson one time, but that was, that was before we even uh, started making comeback. But uh, go to one half to second half, that extreme one way or the other, that's, uh, that's hard to do. Well, the thing about most comebacks, when you come back from any large deficit, most of those games end up going down to the wire. And you're right. able to, you're able to pull it out or you're not. But to, to hold a team to two baskets in the second half and win by 25 after being down by 15 at the half, that's just unheard of. Game was over by with eight minutes to go in the game, basically. Yeah, if it didn't take another turn. <laughs> that's right. But the Illini hit a bunch of threes in that second half, and really the points really added up fast. I've forgotten now how many I wrote it down at the time, but it, they hit about 10 of them in the, in the yeah. second half, something mm-hmm. close to that, nine, and 9, 10, 11, something like that. And those just, I thought you know, Grandison was a spark in the game. What's that? I thought Grandison was a spark in the game, even though we were coming back. He'd come in there and got a couple of steals, a couple of rebounds, made that three, and uh, well, I thought the, he was a – I think they they just got good balance in the second half. They got some baskets out of Miller. They got some baskets out of Frazier. They got the finish there by Io, and of course Kofi was a force. And yeah, I mean, everybody contributed. I don't, I don't think uh, Georgie had a major contribution in the game like some of the others. But oh. from a scoring standpoint, they really did balance it out. And that's been a concern of mine that I'm a I fear that. Uh, we're leaning too much on Io and Kofi. We need the other guys to step in because people are going to start double teaming Kofi. They're going to they're going to help uh, you know help off of Io to prevent him from driving. And and Io's had some problems in the, in the half court getting a shot. Did uh, you guys mention last week that Hutchinson's not going to play at all this year? Is he still going to try to play basketball in the future at Illinois? Who knows? I guess, yeah. He's. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with him. He's in California rehabbing, uh, working with a trainer there, and and such. As far as we know, he is, but I guess we don't know that a hundred percent. There'll be a lot of decisions made after this season by hundreds, if not thousands, of players across this country, including some at Illinois and some everywhere you look. There'll be players transferring everywhere. It'll be the most massive move in the history of basketball. When this season's over, uh, uh, they everybody's going to find a place in. to play. <laughs> I see that Burdan came in <clears throat> at the end of the game. Uh, <clears throat> I'm still expecting him to maybe help towards the end of the season. Well, you know, you know, I can't answer that. Who knows? If you have I mean, more blowout games, you know, he'll get a chance to it, to get some minutes. You're asking the, questions that we don't we don't have any idea what's going to happen. You know, he's in in tough ball games. I don't think uh, that. It's obvious that uh, that uh, Underwood is not going as deep as he he would like to go. He just not. He's every game, every close game you see, he's pretty much stopped after about seven at the most eight. And that normally happens when the conference season 
get started. Hey, Alan, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Let's uh, check in with Richard in Champaign. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, happy New Year to both of you. Uh, stay safe. I have one, a couple of questions I'd like to see if you could give me some information. Uh, Curbelo's having a wonderful uh, season with assists. I'd like to know who holds the freshman record for assists at the University of Illinois men's basketball. And I think, it's, I could be wrong, I'm thinking that Bruce Douglas might hold the assist for a career. He does. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't hold it for, as a freshman. Yeah, we'll, have, we'll look it up. We'd have to get the book. Was, did uh, Bruce Douglas, was he eligible to play his first year here? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He played four straight years. Okay, well, I, I hope you guys can look it up because I'm hoping that uh, as it goes, I'm thinking that Carbello might have a chance to – to uh, break the assist record for freshmen this year. Well, they may not have it listed that way in the book. I mean, I don't know that they have a freshman uh, record. You know, I, I, we can sh- we can see what he was for the for the four years, but uh, yeah, we'll check it out though, Richard. You know, appreciate it. Good question. I, yeah, Harper and and Darren Williams and D Brown. D Brown might have it for all I know. Yeah. Okay, gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, have a great day. You too. We appreciate you listening. 356-9397 is the number. Some facts, if you haven't uh, seen them or read them or heard them about that game the other night, Illinois is the only Division One team in the last 25 years to trail by 15 points at halftime and win by more than 20. That's according uh, to uh, Stats Perform. The uh, Illinois team became the first team to outscore a major conference opponent by 40 points in a single half since March of 2003 when Kentucky outscored Vanderbilt by 43 in the second half. And Illinois held Northwestern to 8.3% shooting in the second half, 2 out of 24. So those are some of the facts from that ball game the other night. Kofi Coburn again with another double-double. Well, that's that was yesterday's news. <laughs> Got another ball game coming up on uh, Sunday night against the Maryland Terrapins at the State Farm Center. By the way, uh, D. Brown averaged 5.0 as a freshman, and I don't know if we're going to find one better than that. I'm going to keep looking. Well, Corbello's averaging 4.8 at the moment, mm-hmm. so that's in the reach of what uh, D. did, and we'll keep looking into that. Frank Williams was 4.1. Okay, so there's some yeah. pretty good assist guys there. But Bruce Douglas is the all-time leader in assists. Bruce is 5.9. Yeah. There's your your all-timer right there. Yeah, he he was the all-time assist leader in the Big Ten for a lot of years. uh, 765, and he averaged, uh, for four years, he averaged 5.9. That'll be hard to beat. Yeah, I'd say that's it, but that's without (laughs) checking every single guy that ever played. Right. It is uh, 9-11. This is Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We'll take our first time out here, and uh, happy to have you joining us, and we'll continue until 11. When we come back, we'll talk some Illinois football here on DWS. Stay with us. Welcome back to the show. This is Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly, and we're with you until 11 o'clock, as usual, here on WDWS, Champaign-Urbana, the flagship station of the Fighting Illini Sports Network. To talk some Illinois football now with the uh, the latest hire on the uh, coaching staff, defensive coordinator Ryan Walters, was uh, named on Thursday officially and introduced 
to the media yesterday, and uh, Ryan is with us on the telephone uh, right now. Good morning, Ryan. Welcome to the show. Good to hear from you, and uh, congratulations on coming to Champaign. Oh, thank you. I you know, couldn't be more excited and, uh, and happy to be here, man. I really appreciate it. Talk a little bit about uh, the, the process and the, the circumstances that uh, got you here and uh, maybe your relationship with uh, Brett Bielma in the past or how well you knew him or how this all came about. Yeah, so, you know, obviously Brett is a, a very well-respected um, defensive mind in, in the coaching world, the coaching uh, community. And so, um, you know, I had been at, at Missouri for, for six years, and um, I just felt like it was time for a, a fresh start, you know, somewhere. And, um, you know, when, when this job came open, you know, I, there's a, you know, a couple of people that I know that, that know um, – coach B and they had mentioned that you know he had his eyes on this one for a, a long time thought that it could be a place um, that could be special and, and could, could win a lot of games and uh, compete for championships year in and year out um, so when that when that hire was made I was like man I, I think this would be a, a great opportunity um, to, to reach my career goals if it, if it worked out um, and so I reached out uh, with, you know Tony Peterson was the uh, was was hired as the offensive uh, coordinator and we spent a, a year together at um at, sorry sorry somebody just walked in sorry um we spent a year together at uh missouri when he was a when he was an analyst there um so he reached out asked if i'd be interested and i was he said absolutely and then uh, you know coach b got on the phone and we, we had a, a couple of conversations um then uh you know flew into uh flew into champagne and and went through the interview process um, and you know, I couldn't couldn't have been more impressed with uh, Coach Bielema and and you know, as a as a young coordinator, um, you know, it was it was good to be around a, a a defensive mind. You know, should he just spent the last three years in the NFL and two of them with with the goat and, and Bill Belichick. So um, sitting sitting down and talking to him and picking his brain about some of the things that he learned. Um, you know, I was being fed. Um, in terms of like heightening football IQ, and that that was another attractive uh, thing about this job. So, very very glad it worked out. Um, super excited uh, to get to work. You know, it's been a, a crazy couple of days just just getting settled and and trying to get uh, staff put together. So, um, you know, the the future is bright in Champaign, and um, I couldn't be more more happy to be a part of this deal. Going to be a pretty good uh, defensive rebuild job, but kind of. Starting from the ground up, does that excite you? It definitely does. You know, I've been asked, you know, what what type of scheme are we going to run? And, you know, the truth is, is I, I don't know yet. You know, I, um, I think it's what I've learned as a, as a young coach, a uh, young play caller is um, you've got to cater what you're doing to your personnel, to your roster. Um, you know, if you look at, you know, the, the past three seasons uh, at Missouri, what we've done, it's just looked a little bit different every year. Um, because your roster changes every year, and so you you want to do things that put your players in good positions and uh, caters to their strengths. Um, obviously, you have um, your 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 philosophies on on what style of defense you want to play and um, you know what attitude you want your guys to play with. Um, but but how you get there schematically can can change. Um, you know, and I've I've been around a, a lot of really really good defensive minded coaches in in my career, and have been a part of you know every defensive scheme under the under the sun. So. Um, you know, it's, it'll be it'll be good to, to get a staff put together uh, to get around the guys. Um, you know, watch them work out and, and 
and then start building uh, Illinois' defense. And that's that to me is is the uh, is the most exciting thing about uh, this opportunity is is to to create something that's unique, um, create something that's that's um, you know has an identity um, that that is Illinois. Ryan, this is Lauren Tate. Uh, you uh, worked with Odom at uh, Memphis. I believe you came to Missouri with him. He was a defensive coordinator yep. before he was the head coach. Uh, what was it yep. like working for a, a, a defensive coach in that respect? And then Brink, Drinkwitz, when he came into Missouri, he's an offensive coach. Is that is that a lot different for a defensive coordinator when you've got a, a guy that uh, is on your side of the ball or not? Um, you know, it, it because of the the way Coach Odom operated, it wasn't too different. Um, you know, obviously, if if I had uh, questions or needed to bounce ideas off of um, Coach Odom, I, I had that luxury. He was right down the hall. Um, but what I think was was uh, one of the reasons why I thought Coach Odom did a good job was he he allowed his staff um, to he trusted his staff to do their job. And so, you know, when Drinkwitz uh, came, and I think, you know, I think Drink has done a hell of a job and will continue to do a hell of a job at, at Missouri. And I'm very appreciative and thankful for, um, you know, his, him giving me the opportunity to to stay uh, last season. Um, but it wasn't there wasn't any difference there. You know, he he was the offensive coordinator um, as well as the head coach. Um, and so, you know, we we were we were you know quote unquote left alone a little bit, uh, but that that didn't change from when I first started calling plays till till last year. So who who do you work with on the on the field mostly? I mean, do you oversee the whole defense or do you let the defensive line coach handle his? I mean Lovey kind of worked with the linebackers and working with his son last year and be, before that he worked with the safeties or cornerbacks. Uh, wh- where do you find yourself uh, on the field? Yeah, so I've, I mean, I'm traditionally been a, a secondary guy. Um, you know, I've coached the entire back end, I've coached just the corners, I've coached just the safeties. Um, and so, you know, I, I tend to, to cater toward um, those position groups. Um, and so, you know, we, depending on how our staff shakes out, um, you know, we'll determine you know, who I spend most of my time with. Um, but it'll, it, would, it will definitely be um, in the secondary. Well, how soon do you expect to know something about your uh, other coaches? Um, probably pretty quick. Um, you know, we've we, we got guys coming in and out, you know, every day. Um, and, and, you know, the, the candidates have, are high quality, um, not only high quality coaches, but high quality men of character. And, um, you know, Coach Willem is, is obviously, like I said, he's, he's well, well respected. Um, so, you know, the list is, is long of the people that are um, interested in, in being a part of this, uh, this journey. Talking to Ryan Walters. He's the new defensive coordinator at the University of Illinois. He played at Colorado. Uh, worked at Colorado as a student assistant uh, in the secondary, then had stops at Arizona, Oklahoma, North Texas, Memphis, and then the last several years at Missouri. By the way, he mentioned uh, Joe Klatt, yes. And uh, do you know that Klatt was going to work one of our games? I was so anxious to meet him in the uh, at, oh, yeah. because I think he's uh, just the best guy on on uh, TV oh, right now in, in terms of interpreting, interpreting what's going on. He was the quarterback that kind of – Caused you to switch over to uh, to safety, huh? Yeah, you know, Clat. We and me and Clat still are, are friends to this day, you know. And um, you know, ch- chat every once in a while, and I've I've admired what he has done in in his career, um, you know, on the broadcast side of things, and, and not surprised at all. You know, his he was very good in the locker room. Obviously, he was a, a very intelligent um, player. Um, you know, he was like a coach on the field. 
and um, and was a, a great leader and also also a great guy. So I'm very very happy and, and very proud of him. Well, the last few years you've been kept busy trying to figure out how to win games in the Southeastern Conference, but I'm interested in in your perception of the Big Ten Conference, how much attention you maybe have paid to the Big Ten Conference and the way football is played there and what your thoughts are of the Big Ten and then Illinois football over the years too. Yeah, so, you know, the Big Ten Conference obviously um, has, a, has a track record of, of tough, hard-nosed football. Um, you know, it's one of the, the, the more prestigious conferences uh, in college football. Um, and then, you know, we were we were slotted to play Iowa in the bowl game. Um, so I was, you know, watching and game planning um, film. And the thing that stood out to me um, about this conference is, is there's there's not a lot of parity in between the, the teams. Um, you know, sometimes in the SEC there's there's a there's a gap between the quote unquote haves and have nots. Um, but but in this conference, you know, like you have Northwestern, you know, who goes three and nine one season and then wins the division the next. Um, you know, so so to me that's to, with with where Illinois, the University of Illinois is set up and the the major cities that are are, are in close proximity. Um, you know, you get the right guy at the right support. Um, I you know I think sky's the limit for this place, and so that's what um, that's what I'm excited about, um, and I can't wait to hit the ground running and, and get to work. You're kind of doing the reverse of go west, young man. You're a guy that's kind of moving east, <laughs> born and right. raised in L.A., and then playing uh, college ball in Colorado, then uh, stop at Missouri, and then coming this way. I've always felt that uh, the most valuable player in a coaching situation is the coach's wife because you guys You're move right. around a lot and uh, you, you got to have the right gal to go along with that. Tell us about your family. Yeah, no, my wife, uh, her name is Tara. Um, you know, she's a, she's a team player for sure. Um, you know, she has learned to be a, a professional mover. Um, but I think it, 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 all, it all works out because she's also my best friend. Um, you know, we, we grew up together, um, you know, grew up in the same neighborhood. I've known her since seventh grade. You know, we started dating when I was a junior in high school um, and have been together ever since. Um, we've got two boys, um, Aaron and Kaysen, who uh, are, are six and four. Um, and they're they're fired up to get some some blue and orange gear and and uh, move to Champagne. So you know my my family is everything to me, and um, you know we couldn't be more happy and, and excited to be a part of this community. Uh, Coach, uh, we're all interested in who's coming back you know, since ever all the seniors have an opportunity to play again. Can you tell us anything about some of the guys that we haven't heard about? Adams, Perry, Gay, some of those guys. Have you talked to those guys? And do you get any feeling uh, when we get a, a confirmation one way or another? Yeah, no, I started, I began making phone calls yesterday. Um, I've met with a couple of them uh, that are in town. Um, and so, you know, we, we are in the, in the process of, of uh, you know, recruiting guys back for sure. Um, I don't know time frame wise. Um, you know when when decisions will be made. I'm I'm sure it, it'll uh, be sooner rather than later, just with the with the calendar uh, the way it is. Um, but yeah, those, that's definitely a, a priority. And are you in, involved in? Are you personally involved in what's going on as far as the portal's concerned? Um, you know, we've got a recruiting department who's done a great job of keeping me up to date on who's in and 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 who uh, who's interested and who's available. Um, you know that's. That's that's one of the things that you've got to pay attention to, 
Um, we got we've got a couple spots that we need to fill, and, and so we're actively, um, you know, in the process of doing that. When you um, were coming up and learning the coaching profession from uh, various people and the people that you've mentioned, I don't think there was ever a chapter in there on how to recruit during a pandemic. <laughs> and uh, right. you, you got to find new ways to get it done, don't you? There's no doubt. A lot of Zoom calls and, and uh, a lot of telephone conversations for sure. So uh, have you recruited the state of Illinois at all over the over the years? I have not, actually. I've, I've recruited in every in and, in and everywhere in Texas, um, recruited uh, pretty much everywhere in Florida. You know, I've been in Atlanta. I've been in uh, Colorado. I've been in Arizona. Uh, I've been a little bit in California. So I'm excited to get to know to get to know this state for sure. Coach, we'll let you get back on the phone to, to uh, maybe some more important people, but we appreciate uh, your time spending a few minutes with us this morning. All right, thank you. You guys enjoy, the, enjoy your weekend. You too. Right, thanks, Ryan. That's Ryan Walters, the defensive coordinator for Brett Bielma and the University of Illinois football team. Young guy, 34, almost 35. I really like that part. I, I just think that you got to build something over, you know, I, I just, uh, I know that, uh, you know, for instance, Michigan had an, a great defensive coach in, named Brown, who is now taking another job, I believe, at Arizona. Don Brown, yeah. yeah. And, and, but, you know, I'd rather have a younger guy that you, you feel like he's on the way up and, and might be here for a while. I, the thing that I see and the thing I'm writing about in my column tomorrow is a, is a culture that's been developed, particularly at Northwestern, Wisconsin, and Iowa, defensive culture that's different from, you know, it, it doesn't matter who they recruit. It doesn't matter – uh, who they play? I mean, they play good defense. They just do, game after game, year after year. It never and and it's because of the, it's this, it's this thing called culture that Illinois hasn't developed. Even in Northwestern's year last year, that they went three and nine. They were in most of those games. They lost a lot of close games. It was just a matter oh, yeah. of, matter of the not scoring enough points. But the defense has been pretty solid. But, but listen to these numbers. This this year, Northwestern gave up fifteen point nine points per game. Basically, six, 16 points per game. Wisconsin gave up 17 points a game. Iowa brought, uh, gave up 16 points a game. And the thing that's – and that's normal. They do it year after year after year. We know when we go into the game against uh, Northwestern, if we score two touchdowns against Northwestern in a game, that would be the first time in five years we scored more than one. They, they, they snuff us out. And it's, it's something that's gone on year after year after year, and it's, I don't know can, how fast can Illinois build up to that. That's the, that's the job that Ryan Walters has, is trying to develop that kind of culture where they're not recruiting essentially different players than Illinois is. Illinois is at about the same level as, in fact, they've out-recruited out Northwestern in some years. And Iowa, you know, they're comparable. And, and Wisconsin, they're comparable in terms of the defensive players that they bring into school. But the, but the development of those players year after year at Northwestern, Wisconsin, and Iowa is just astounding. I mean, just think of that again. The, the three of them average given up about 16 to 17 points a game uh, over the season. And they've done this kind of stuff. The year before, Wisconsin gave up 16-1. The year before that, 22-6. Well, that's, you know, that's a little high for them. But Illinois has got to find – if you don't play defense – you're not going to win games in the Big Ten. And Illinois gave, gave up 34, uh, 35 points a game last season under Lovey Smith, who's a defensive guy. That ain't going to work. You can't win games that way. Very well said. 930, 
WDWS Champaign-Urbana. We'll take a break. We'll talk some Illinois basketball after this on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join us for Fighting Illini Men's Basketball on Sunday at 7. It's Illinois hosting Maryland at State Farm Center. Illini game day comes your way at 5 Sunday. It is 9.32, and this is Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. We are with you until 11 o'clock. Phone line open, 356-9397 is the number. Thanks to Ryan Walters, new Illinois defensive coordinator, for spending about 20 minutes with us on the phone. We'll talk some Illinois basketball now. Our friend Brad Sturdy from Rivals.com, Orange and Blue News, is with us. Good morning, Bradley. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Good. We were trying to uh, describe or make sense of what happened the other night in Evanston in that basketball <laughs> game. And, and Lauren and I, and, and you as well, have been around a while and seen many games, seen a lot of comebacks, but uh, nothing quite like that in the uh, – discrepancies of the first half and second half that was something else wasn't it yeah it was it was really crazy I, I think um you know I've seen teams maybe have a struggle to score and then turn it on the second half I've seen teams maybe you know struggle to defend and then change it in the second half make some adjustments I don't think I've ever seen a team go from struggling to score at that level and then struggling to get any stops in the first half and then hold the team to 13 points and score 53 in the second half I uh, the the turnaround was just amazing, and, and it was just a it was a snowball that kind of rolled downhill, and you could see that Northwestern just kind of you, you kind of took the life away from them. They had no they had no answers, and they just looked they looked lost. Um, they lost their aggressiveness. They lost their and Illinois just you know got kept gaining more and more energy. I mean, up until the and the you know it was up until the last buzzer. I mean, they they continued to pour it on it all the way uh, to the end. So. It was um it was it was impressive an impressive second half. I you wonder if they can bottle that and put that together for forty minutes and they're they're gonna be awfully good. How do you size up the Big Ten so far? I know it's we're not to, to the halfway point yet, but it's starting to look like it might be a four team race. Michigan still unbeaten in the league at five and zero. Illinois five and one, Iowa and Wisconsin at four and one, some other teams with three losses, Minnesota, Rutgers, Purdue, and Northwestern, and Ohio State, and Indiana. It's going to be tough on the road all the way along, but do you kind of see this uh, coming down to a four-team race? Yeah, I think so. I think you've got, you know, uh, the the thing about it is it's going to be the team in those, that's able to take care of business against those middle-tier and bottom-tier teams, you know, from the top. Those four teams, um, there's a two-game separation between the top four and the rest of the league um, in the loss column. So, um You've got a nice uh, a group at the top that have kind of distanced themselves. And when you look at the way they've won, you know, Iowa and Illinois and Michigan are winning games not by, you know, last-second shots. I mean, they're, they're, they've they been dominant in some of these games. They're winning by, you know, uh, 25 points and 20 points. And even even in a close game, they're kind of pulling away and winning by 10 or so. So we have, they, they've really been dominant. It, thus far you know outside of Illinois game at Rutgers they've been really good in the Big Ten even when they've struggled they're still winning by you know 10 points so um, those four teams have kind of just separated themselves at this point doesn't mean that they're a team for the middle but I don't think the teams in the middle have the pieces to make a run um, towards the title I think the teams at the top are in position where they all have the pieces where they can beat those middle teams but also have an opportunity to possibly 
you know, and then it's going to come down to who wins the games amongst them. Now, some of the schedules are more favorable than others, and and uh, you know whether it's uh, Michigan or um, only playing you know Illinois once, or you know Illinois only playing Iowa once, or Michigan once. You know those things. Maybe Michigan has a good gig. Maybe Illinois has good uh, good schedule. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see who who takes care of business in these games. Um, Illinois has again. You look at the way they're going forward. The next you know three games or so three or four games should be wins. I mean, Illinois has a, if they play well, they'll be 10 and one in the big 10. If they win the games, they should win going at heading to Michigan state. So that obviously that's saying if they do play well, but um, they're in a good position to kind of make a run for the title and, and put themselves in a good place. You know, Brad, I am easily confused and I'm going to ask you to explain (laughs) something to me, how you could have a mock draft with 30 players, the top so-called Player, 30 players that the NBA most uh, wants with no Garza, only one guy in it, that's Io, and 29 others who are not from the Big Ten, even though the Big Ten is by far the best conference in the, in the country. Explain that. Well, that's why general managers in the NBA get fired. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I, I, I say that in all seriousness. I think sometimes they get caught up in looking at, well, this guy doesn't do this, or how does he fit, what can he do? Uh, at the, at some point, you kind of have to look at it and say these guys are they're winners um, and they're players. They're making plays. I mean, Io's putting up 20 plus points a game. He's one of the top scorers in the country. He's doing it efficiently. He's scoring from behind the arc. He's scoring at the rim. We've seen him, you know, defensively. He can he can be a tremendous defender. I mean, he can play one, two, or three with his six five and his length. And the fact that he's not higher on draft boards is crazy. And so, and then they look at Garza and say, well can he guard in space or can he do this? And it's like, well, yeah, he's going to struggle in the NBA, but he's also going to score. And and I think sometimes they get too caught up in what they can't do instead of what they can do. Teams are going to find a spot for guys like that. Um, Somebody smart is going to take a a chance. I think I was going to go in the first round barring a complete collapse. I mean, he's just improved his game too much. He's so uh, much physically stronger. He's, he's just, uh, he's changing. You saw that play the other night. Against Northwestern, I, you know, I, when he just, you know, he had no fear going to the rim, and he went up and he was just, he was going to hammer it. You know, he got the foul, but just see a different bounce and athleticism than he had as a freshman, and so he's in a, he's he's going to go in the first round, and, and if they, you know, these guys, it's the same thing. Kofi's not even on the list, and um, you know, and I get he doesn't fit today's NBA, but if you go back 25 years ago, Kofi's probably a top five pick, just because they drafted size that way back then. Um, but now they don't. They don't look at it the same way. They, won't, you know, it's more about length and mobility and things and sh- being able to spread the floor. So, it, it's a different game, and um, but it's going to be. Uh, I, I think we're going to see these guys. Uh, we got to enjoy it in the Big Ten right now because there's a ton of talent. Well, take us uh, through the recruiting uh, battles here. Where, where does Illinois stand with uh, Oscar Deshibwe and Burnett and some of the others that they've? They, they, at this point, there have been quite a few, several key players that have gotten away. Uh, where do we stand with the next group? Well, I think with Oscar, you know, he's down to four schools. Um, in North Carolina State and Miami, he had Zooms with on Thursday night. He had Zooms with Illinois and Kentucky last night. So um, Oscar is a kid that Illinois recruited heavily throughout the process. And, and I, I can tell you they, they, basically, they showed a lot of what, you know, what they've done with Kofi and how they could make him – you know, that type of, you know, get that type of, you know, Kofi's a double-double machine. I mean, we, we, 
you put a guy who's like Oscar in there too, it's a, it's a plug and play. You don't miss a beat. And so he's maybe not the physical presence of Kofi is, but he's more, more athletic and bouncy and can even spread the floor a little. So it's, um, it'd be, you know, Illinois has sold him on that. Now, can he, can they get him to commit? You know, last time I think they did a good job of selling him and and they didn't get the commitment. So it's going to be a, it's going to be tough. Uh, I think those teams, it seems like Miami had, had a little juice going into the visits. Uh, Zoom visits, which is what we have now. I think Illinois has an advantage is that he's been on campus. Um, that's probably the biggest selling point. And, of course, his relationship with Antigua and how Orlando's been able to work with bigs throughout the, you know, o- over the years. And uh, so we'll see how that goes. I think Namari Burnett's going to be a little bit of a slower process. Um, Illinois been, you know, had, you know, it's that third-party thing. And people have reached out to them, see if they have interest and so forth. So, um, and they would, obviously. Um um, Burnett is you know, a kid who is five star and he struggled at Texas Tech and uh he hasn't had it didn't have a good experience. Um didn't really get an opportunity, it seems like, in his mind, um, to play the minutes and kind of fight through some of the mistakes. Uh if you look at an Adam Miller, I think they can sell Burnett on what they've done with Adam Miller. Adam Miller's been allowed to kind of play through it. Now one thing about Miller is he's throughout this process he's battled defensively and even though he's missed shots and so I think but only showed some patience with the young guys. And I think that sell that should sell well now going forward on the recruiting trail. Look what we've done with we've allowed our freshmen to kind of play through their mistakes, whether it's Curbella or Miller and um Burnett needs he needs to have that opportunity because he has a, a lot of talent but he's got a lot of growth to do as well. Lauren talked about uh the guys that have gotten away, and both those guys fall into that category. They got away from Illinois the first time, and yet uh, I guess it's a sign that you don't burn bridges. You kind of stay in touch with people, and uh, you don't know what's going to happen, especially now with the transfer portal the way it is. Yeah, it, it's going to be uh, like <laughs> I was talking to Coach Antigua the other day on my on my uh, podcast, and and it's uh, it, it's it's a wild wild west. It really is. It's going to be crazy to see this moving forward. There's going to be so many transfers this spring. Um, kids who at a mid-major want to try the high major, and they can go play right away. It doesn't have to be a grad transfer. Um, you're going to have kids at a high major who aren't getting a shot, and they're going to want to make a move to a different school and just didn't, you know, find out they didn't like the fit, whatever. I mean, I and there's no with no sit out. I think that there's no penalty for transferring. So you're going to see a lot of kids who just kind of take this opportunity to to make change and. We've seen it on the football side already. The transfer portal is huge, and I think basketball is going to be the same way. Another couple of minutes with Brad Sturdy from Orange and Blue News, Rivals.com. You're branching out a little bit, Bradley. Tell us about uh, uh, your new venture and uh, how people can find that, and will it affect your uh, time and your work on Orange and Blue News at all? Yeah, I'm still gonna. I'm still working with Orange Blue News, um, covering basketball this season, and uh, you know, still doing the same things there. I've also added. Um, uh, you know, Sturdy for Thirty podcast, which is part of uh, and the Illini Guys um, network. It's um, IlliniGuys.com. It's going to be a group of Illini fans, multimedia stuff. Um, a lot of guys who've been involved in broadcasting, coaching, and so forth. So I kind of joined up with them to to do my podcast. We've got videos on YouTube. We've also um, it's on Sturdy for Thirty. Um, on it's on iTunes and Spotify and different things. So I uh, have some nice guests. This week's guest will be Mike Latulip, uh, former Illini coach, Illinois in the basketball tournament, the TBT this summer. So the Illinois team. So um, yeah, we're gonna have a nice. Uh, it, it's 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 been a lot of fun so far, um, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. So 
yeah, you can catch there. And, of course, I'll still come and visit you on WDWS whenever you ask, though. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> we were wondering if we were sliding down the priority list there. <laughs> no, I always enjoy you guys. Hey, Brad, appreciate it. Um, hope to see you in Sioux. Well, we'll see you probably tomorrow night at uh, the State Farm Center. But uh, congratulations on that, and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks. Appreciate it, guys, and we'll see you tomorrow night. You bet. All right. Brad Sturdy with us from Orange and Blue News, illinois.rivals.com for Orange and Blue News. Moving up on 945, open line 356-9397 until 10 o'clock. If you'd like to join us, we're back after this. Moving up on 947 here on DWS, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Steve Kelly, Lauren Tate with you until 11. Phone line is open, and we find Gary from Urbana on the line. Go ahead, Gary. You're on the air. Yeah, you guys have spoken several times, you know, about compensation for college athletes. And I was, as I read the paper this morning, um, if Harbaugh wins the Big Ten title, he gets a million dollars extra. And if he wins a national championship, he gets another million dollars. As a player, how would I feel about that? You know, because I'm the one that's basic. I realize you need a good coach, but it's the athletes that are doing that. So if I do a really great job, you get $2 million extra this year. What do I get? I'll hang up and listen to what you say. All right, Gary, thanks. The contract of Harbaugh is that they've tried to – they've brought him down from $8 million to $4 million right. because – uh, for two reasons, the pandemic is part of it, but also because uh, there was some, some consideration, I'm sure, that uh, maybe he's not the right guy, but they still think he's, he might be. And, and so they built, the, the, they built the contract in a way that he will be compensated for the successes that he hasn't had so far. And uh, I don't like the idea of paying coaches extra money because they win because that's what they're paid for in the first place. I don't like it. But uh, nevertheless, I, uh, that's what they're doing with Harbaugh, it's clear. And they've also got his buyout way down, which will allow them, regardless of the fact that it's announced as a five-year contract, because the buyout's down, you can, they, can, they can more easily fire him after one year or another year or two if they feel like it. Like the buyout's $3 million, then it goes to $1 million, $1 million, yeah. $1 million zero. <laughs> yeah. See, and, and, and they're, they're putting themselves in a position where – Let's say two years from now, they say, oh, this is just absolutely isn't working, and you haven't. You're now 0 and 7 against Ohio State, and we're just going to pull the plug, and and they won't have to pay him as much as they would have to pay him now. The the thing you notice about buyouts is that we've got four coaches here who were fired this year recently, whose total buyout came to 50 million, 5-0. 15 million just for Herman alone at Texas. <laughs> Good gig if you can get it, right? Yeah, and Lovey's had a big buy. I mean, so what the, What? What people are trying, what athletic directors are trying to do, I'm sure, is to try to reduce these buyouts because it's fairly obvious that, boy, if coaches aren't successful, you know, the pressure is going to be on them to be fired pretty fast. Well, I think Harbaugh got the, um, the Michigan, the quote-unquote, the Michigan man yeah. benefit of the doubt. That's right. I don't think anybody else. No, no, that's exactly right. Right. You hit it right on the head. Now he's won forty nine games and lost twenty yes. something, so that that's a good record. But yes, yeah. that's not what they care about up there. He seems like, from all of you looking at his past and everything, and looking at him, he looks like the perfect guy uh, to be coaching Michigan. 
He, but, but the same thing is said of Scott Frost at Nebraska. He looks like the perfect guy, but it's not working. I wonder if, to what extent that he explored any interest in the NFL. Well, there's, five, may, maybe, five or six schools, there's five or six programs are open, so he should have... Yeah, what I'm saying is maybe the feedback he got from that was, uh, was not well, so hot either, as far well, as they being interested in him. Well, I think it's fairly obvious that when you've had what some might consider a lack of meeting expectations, let's call it that. Because as you said, he had, he had a good record. There's nothing wrong with his right. record, except, you know, he just can't beat, uh, he just, he, he can't beat Ohio State. And he had a little problem with Michigan State, too. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. I, I just think that uh, this whole, the whole pay scale for college football is so far out of whack that there's no way to ever retrieve it and ever get it back on balance. It's just they're paying them too much, and now we're in a, a pandemic era where no, people can't afford this stuff. Well, not beating Ohio State, uh, they're not in the they're not the, the Lone Ranger no, there. That's right. Ohio State's like sixty five and three in their last sixty eight Big Ten conference games, so nobody's having much luck with them. And of course, the Buckeyes uh, scheduled to play Monday night against Alabama, and that one. Uh, you thought much about that game yet? Well, I haven't thought much about it. I mean, I'll watch it. I, sure. I you know, obviously, I'm pulling for Ohio State, I guess, and and but it's not uh, the end of the world for me, one way or the other. I just don't like the way this thing has, the way I, you know. I hear I'm complaining about everything here, but it's I okay. don't I don't like the way this thing is boiled down to the same schools every year. I would like to see a competitive situation like it is in the NFL, where where you've got teams that uh, when they go out there every Sunday, you don't know who's going to win. And, and uh, in, in college football, we know uh, too often who's going to win. Yeah, I think it needs to go to at least eight teams. Yeah. And maybe even beyond that, go to 16. I, yeah, number 17 will still be unhappy <laughs> if you do that. But at least you get a, you get a chance of an of a underdog kind of team that may be better than you think and may not be. But well, they get a chance to prove it one way or the other. If you had eight, you would have had Cincinnati in there this year, and it would have been interesting to see how that undefeated team might have done. But uh, did you see who Cincinnati's playing next season? Notre Dame and Indiana. They're going to be going against their old defensive if they, coordinator. If they win those two games, and I don't think they will, but if they win those two games and go and win their conference, they are in the playoffs. They're in a 14 play. There's no way if you beat Notre Dame and Indiana the way that those two teams are built right now, that would that would be enough to get them over the hump, I think. Yep. Let's go back to the phones. Marty, hey, what's going on in North Carolina? Well, we had a little snow last night, but Come not on. much of it was stuck on the ground, Steve. So we didn't have any snow last year. So anyway, uh, I'll vote for an eight-team playoff myself. And you're right, Cincinnati would get in, but they lost their defense coordinator in Notre Dame. I'm not betting on that happening. Uh, I thought off to a different subject. I listened to one of the, oh, Brad Underwood uh, taped interviews, and he was talking about Coleman Hawkins. Mm -hmm. Talked about the fact that he's more comfortable at the four right now, but he'll eventually be able to play the three, probably looking down the road. And I'm thinking, uh, I, I know he hasn't played a lot. He just got in at mop-up time the other day. But Bosman Verdunk, by the end of the season, by the time it gets to tournament time, is going to have uh, a little time in practice, a little time getting his legs back under him. 
So some of those worries you, we've had about matchups at the four are going to be a little bit alleviated by the end of the year. And looking in the future, if you've got a 6'10 kid that can play the three and defend the three, that's a big if. Uh, you've got some matchup opportunities that Underwood really likes to exploit. I'm looking forward to seeing this team going forward, even though we're going to lose probably a couple pretty good players. What are your thoughts? Well, it will become Corbello's team as of next year, if it isn't already. Uh, and I, I think to say it might be now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he's he certainly took over. He has he has periods of time when he takes over the game, and uh, and I think that's great. I mean, I think it's a little more difficult against the zone. Uh, which is what Northwestern played most of the time and wishes they'd played more uh, because it was against a man-to-man that Illinois... I, I don't know what that score was against a man-to-man, Steve, but it would be enormous if you take the first half. Right. I mean, they outscored them. You know, they, they played man-to-man for about two minutes of the second half. But, uh, well, one of, they, they, one of their issues with the zone is they don't... Unless Georgie's in the game, Unless they flash Io into the post, they don't have that high post presence that they really need to have against the zone. And Corbello is not real tall, even though he's a great ball handler, which gives him a little more trouble against the zone too. So they've got to work on getting the ball in the high post against the zone immediately instead of standing around like they don't know what they're doing. Because they can go high-low if they can get the ball in the post, and Kofi would just kill, them down, kill teams down low. But that's neither here nor there. They'll get there. They'll get there. All right, Marty, thank you. Yep. Make it a good one, fellas. You too. Let's go to Steve calling in from Princeton. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Lauren. And I always like talking to Lauren because he's got more years of experience (laughs) and can go back through history. But I was thinking uh, a couple years ago when Dick Buckus' statue was uh, unveiled and everything and Dick was on the radio with you guys, and he was talking about football and recruiting and stuff and I was thinking how recruiting has changed because Dick said what happened to these kids that want to take and go play for say a down program and make them into a winner he said everybody now wants to go to a winning program they don't want to pay their dues they don't want to develop a program they don't want to make them a winner and I was thinking of Ohio State you know that running back Sermon he comes from Oklahoma for one year um but I was going to ask Lauren, who was the last football or basketball player that you can recall that said, I want to play for Illinois, that they didn't have to recruit? He was beating down the doors to come play because I want to be in a line eye. And the first name that came to me was maybe Doug Altenberger. But I don't know about football, if there's anybody in that category or not. Well, there probably are. I, I don't know. I, I But uh, Doug Altenberger's dad played for Illinois, right. which is – you know that's just kind of a family decision, I think, as much as anything. But there, there have been, but I, I don't know that I can. But I think some of those Peoria guys would fall into that category. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean Altberger was a Peoria guy, but uh, some of the other guys. That, Hester. Yep, Jerry Hester. Yeah. Sergio. But yeah. they had to work at it to get them. They just didn't say, right. you know, make Lou Henson didn't make one appearance and say, hey, give me the paper, I want to sign it, you know. I mean, they had to put time in to get him because that wasn't a given. Sergio, I think, was leaning towards Indiana at one time. He was. Yeah. And I think of Brian Cook, maybe, too. They had to work to get him a little bit, but he had plenty of options. And uh, But he seemed to, to be an, an Illinois guy most of the way. Yeah, I, but I, I, often thought, 
I I'd have to get into their minds. I I don't know. I I don't know who you're. I don't know who you'd be referring to there. I. By the way, speaking of that, I uh, I don't know why it made me think of this. I wonder where Howard Griffith's son's going to go. Good question. I mean, he's he's leaving Notre Dame. He's in the portal. Champaign-Urbana is nice this time of year. <laughs> I think he'd be a good catch, and I, I but I'd love to hear what Griff has to say about it. But I'm sure that he's going to have to, you know, walk a, a tight line there as far as what he says. Anything else, Steve? No, but I just, you know, seeing kids in Indiana, they grow up and they say, I want to be a Hoosier. I want to be a Hoosier, you know, yeah. but we just don't see much of that in Illinois. Or somebody in Iowa says, I want to be a Hawkeye. I want to be a Hawkeye. You don't see much of that in Illinois. All right. Good point. Thanks. We appreciate the call. Moving I up. I suppose the Finkies might have, uh, 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 Jeff Finke might have, might have been a guy like that. Am I wrong? Mike Finky? Am I getting Mike? I'm getting them mixed up. Well, Jeff's a dad, and yeah. you, Mike, uh, Michael came, and yeah, maybe both of them, yeah. <laughs> really, when you think about it. A good question, something to ponder as we get close to the top of the hour. I did want to mention, sorry to hear about uh, the passing of Lonnie Perrin at the age of 68, former Illini, played in 72, 73, and 75, running back out of Washington, D.C. I saw him play from a distance. Uh, you saw him play a little bit uh, more up close. What are your thoughts about uh, him? And he went on to play five years in the NFL. Well, he was just an e- enormously talented, a terrific basketball player. He could do every- He could kick off. He could throw the ball. He had a tremendous arm. He could run with the football. He just he was an all-around player, and uh, one of the well, maybe the the most outstanding uh, or pretty close to it uh, player that Blackman ever recruited here in terms of his all-around talent. Yep, came from Washington, D.C., was drafted by the Broncos, played in Super Bowl twelve with the Broncos, also played a little bit towards the end of his career with the Bears and the Redskins. He uh, died at the age of 68. Also, as far as sports deaths go, Tommy Lasorda at 93, a Hall of Famer, and uh, just one of those old-time characters. Yes, he was. I, I saw I, the... Uh, I, I, I've listened to a lot of, the, of his, uh, I, what, what do you call them, <laughs> post-game interviews. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you decide to do that on YouTube or you make, make sure the kids aren't real close. That's right, it's just hilarious. <laughs> pretty interesting guy, pretty funny guy. 10 o'clock, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana, back with hour number two of Illini Pella's Saturday Sports Talk after this. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We're with you until 11 o'clock. Thanks to uh, Ryan Walters, the new Illinois football defensive coordinator, for taking time to visit with us in the first hour of the show. Also, Brad Sturdy from Orange and Blue News, IllinoisRivals.com. Leading off the second hour, talk some Big Ten basketball with Jess Settles from uh, BTN. Good morning, Jess. How are you? Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, guys. It's good to be on and what another great season we've got going for Big Ten basketball. Game last night, Purdue down by 16 at the half, 15 at the half actually, and comes back to win 55-54 in 
if you just look at the score, you say that's an old-time Big Ten game, but uh, there's been a lot of variety in the, the Big Ten season so far. We're not quite to the halfway point yet, but uh, how are you sizing it up? Are we down to a what looks like a four-team race for the championship? I don't know if you can say that. Um, about the time you think some teams are separating themselves, Iowa goes to Minnesota and gets beat. Maryland's a team that struggles, but then they go on the road and beat Wisconsin. Um, you know, the Michigan State game last night, you just felt like they were starting to get some momentum, had a little winning streak going. It's just very unpredictable. I mean, Northwestern in the first half played very well against Illinois. I'm not sure we can say there's a ton of separation right now. I think if you're the Illini, I was just glancing at their schedule. This is obviously a critical couple weeks with a lot of games that they will be favored in, and you just can't lose right now to a team like Nebraska, um, those are the type of games you can't lose if you're going to win the Big Ten title or grab, grab a slice of it. You played 10 years in the Big Ten, <laughs> <laughs> or so it seems, to uh, fans of other schools. But had you ever seen a turnaround like the game the other night, the Illini-Northwestern game? I don't think many people have seen that. I mean, it, it, you'd have to go way back when – probably without the without the three-point line when things were a little crazier maybe older players but that was uh that that's what Illinois can be can do um it was so explosive they've got so many good athletes they can get up and down I what do you guys think I mean you haven't seen many games like that in your long careers have you well we've seen some comebacks certainly of the Illinois game against Minnesota and the regional final uh, back in uh, 2005 but most of the comeback games yeah. we talked about earlier most of the comeback games are nail biters they go down to the to the end you don't see too many comeback games like this that end up in a blowout and you outscore a team by 40 points in the second half i, I think northwestern was in a state of shock <laughs> at the end they just were yeah. you know it was over once in a while you'll see see that type of thing in the nba when you just a team's down big in the first quarter and they come back and win by 20 but Obviously, that 2005 Illinois game is one of my favorite games of all time if you're a Big Ten fan. That was just a game that they needed, and they, the guys rose up. And I, Honestly, I, I played in two games in my life. Uh, at Kansas, they had a 62-game winning streak there. Roy Williams was the coach. And then an NCAA tournament game in Tempe, Arizona against George Washington. And those were the two games in my life. And, and I was a fighter. I mean, I'd, I'd fight for every minute and never give up. But those were the two games of my life where I knew about midway through the second half we were going to lose those games. <laughs> and I just knew I, – I psychologically – I just accepted it. And yet I told myself, look, let's just keep playing hard. You never know. And both of those games we came back and won. And so you, you talk about the life lessons that you learn as an athlete and, and those opportunities that you have to carry on in your life. Once in a while, even in my life today, when I go through some trials and tribulations, I'll just – glance back at those games and say no just just keep battling keep showing up it'll work out and and those are those those Illinois kids will never forget that game Jess I'm going to take you over to um, to Garza and I want you to tell me where you see his future after he leaves Iowa and by the way he wouldn't stick around at Iowa another year would he yeah Lauren that's that's fascinating like there are about four or five guys who are not going to get the news they want to get at the end of the year about where they're going to be drafted. It happens every year. They go through the process. We're now in a situation where they can talk to GMs, they can get an actual piece of paper that tells them, and yet a lot of the kids still don't believe it. 
And so you see a ton of underclassmen not drafted over the last couple of years. So this little this COVID situation where everybody can come back is going to be a tough decision for those guys. I would say there would be a very small chance Luca would do that, but he's going to have something to think about. I, I know last year in talking to some scouts, he would have been a second-round pick. I know that he would have had, you know, a G League contract. They just it, it wasn't enough to justify him leaving early and, and turning down, becoming a legend at the University of Iowa. So there will be a lot of guys in that situation. I don't think he's one of them. Um, although I, there was a, a handsome lad from Iowa who played six years there. I don't remember his name. <laughs> well, I understand. But uh, who's the greatest player in Iowa history, basketball player? I think um, I think most people would say Ronnie Lester mm-hmm. and uh, played for Lute Olson. You remember Ronnie? Mm-hmm. Uh, if it wasn't for a knee injury, most people think that Iowa would have won the 1980 national title. Uh, Magic Johnson's on the record saying that Ronnie's the toughest guard that he ever played against in college. Really? And so then I think that for my generation, uh, Roy Marble uh, out of Michigan, an all-time leading scorer, which Luca's going to pass that. And then, uh, obviously, for this next generation, Luca Garza is going to take over that spot, uh, deservedly so. Um, I think you have two groups of fans, and I think everybody can be right. I mean, obviously, if you saw Big Ten basketball in the 80s and early 90s, you know that it was lottery picks every single night. You know about the Fighting Illini. You know about Glenn Rice and Michigan and Ramil Robinson and the Iowa Hawkeye team who had seven NBA players on it. So, Guys stayed in school longer, and the craziest thing I've ever, the, the craziest statistic I've ever seen, and I, I hope it's not true, but I've had many people tell me, is that Roy Marble, who was our best player ever probably outside of Ronnie Lester, did not even make first team all conference in the late 90s Big Ten basketball. Is that right? He did not make, I mean, think about that, Lauren. I mean, you've, you've seen the all time greats and you've seen the legend. Roy Marble didn't, that's how unfathomably good the Big Ten was um, during those late easy stretches and the, yep. the fighting Illini and all those great teams and Indiana with Jay Edwards and that's Nick Anderson and Kenny Battle. and So I, it's, it's hard for me to sit here and, and say, oh, you know, a player today is better than those guys. You know, I wouldn't want to make that argument and disrespect the guys from the past, but um, you can, people can have opinions on it either way. It's fun to talk about. Well, I think Garza's has uh, got a leg up on the National Player of the Year because he finished second, you know, or first or second last year, and he's having a comparable year. And I, you know, I, I think it's automatic. I, I don't see anybody even challenging him for Player of the Year, and yet he he might not be drafted in the first round. I think that's amazing. All right, and and that's just how the game has changed, and it's gone so much to pick and roll basketball, and can you defend, and are you long, and I, I really – I think Luca Garza will play in the NBA. Sure. Um, can he stay in the NBA? That, that'll be up to him. That'll be up to getting on the right team. He's going to have a lot of work to do. He's going to have to prove it. But he's such an elite shooter and um, such a great teammate, a good passer. So he'll, he will just have to find his niche. Now, he's going to run away with the player of the year deal if he stays healthy, if Iowa continues to win. Uh, the Suggs kid out of Gonzaga is phenomenal, but he's only a freshman, and he's already missed several games. And it'll be interesting. You know, I think Kofi, if there's one guy who could put pressure on him, it, it, 
it, it might excuse me, it might be Io. Io, if he if if Illinois can win the Big Ten championship and Io continues to play well and makes big shots down the stretch, if they could beat Iowa head to head, then he could probably put some pressure on him. I don't think the race is over yet, but it's darn close to being over. Talking to Jess Settles, talking uh, Big Ten basketball. What do you remember about some of your Illinois-Iowa battles as a player? Uh-huh. Look out here. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, <clears throat> Lauren will tell you, with Coach Henson and Lauren and I a year ago sitting in the living room, we had some good stories to tell and some good memories. It was bad blood back then, the way it's supposed to be. Um, there was, there was, it was a very physical game. I always tease Deion Thomas. I mean, we used to, we used to really go at it physically, didn't like each other. Now we're really good friends. I didn't know he was that nice a guy. I didn't, I didn't know <laughs> guys could be that nice. But uh, it was, it was, it was like that. Just, it seemed like every game was down to the wire. If I remember right, and Coach Henson told us, I think we won darn near every game in Iowa City during that era that I played, and I think we lost every game in Champaign. Maybe we won one on the road. Maybe they won one. But it was always hard to win at home. The fans were really into it. And uh, I think it's got that edge back to it, don't you guys now? I mean, it's, when, if Illinois and Iowa can take care of business over the next couple of weeks, that game's going to be must-see Richter scale level Big Ten basketball. Well, that's right, but it'll never have the animosity that was was built up over time because of the Bruce Pearl thing. I mean that that that's what caused the the problems during the Dion right. era. Uh, but my jaw dropped when the three of us were sitting there and 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 we got the the story about Dion carrying the note from Lou to the official about <laughs> what the what the uh, and, and got the technical uh, foul call, and you said, guess who shot those free throws? <laughs> and it was you. <laughs> and we didn't know that. <laughs> you shot the free throws when, when we got the technical foul for, for Dion carrying the note from Lou that uh, the officiating wasn't, wasn't fair. <laughs> oh, I couldn't believe Coach Still was bring, brought that up. It was just a touch bitter about that all those years later. <laughs> Back to present day, how, how do you think – since you've got Iowa connections, we've obviously got Illinois connections. How do you think each of those teams is is set up at this point to make a long run in in the postseason? And what might be the Achilles' heel of each team? Well, if you're an Illinois fan or an Iowa fan, you're obviously very excited about the weapons that you have. I mean, both teams. I think it's fair to say if they play their best, could win the whole thing. I they both have incredible size inside. I mean, Kofi is just so intimidating, such a rim protector, continues to get better. They both have guys who can shoot. Um, Io is the ultimate closer. Iowa's got a couple guys, Bohannon and C.J. Frederick. They can both shoot the three and make big plays. I guess red flag or things to be concerned about, I, I think they were both outclassed when Illinois played Baylor and Iowa played Gonzaga. I think there's definitely – separation there and so can both teams get better defensively guard without fouling I think Illinois fans would probably say and Brad Underwood would say that maybe the guards got out tossed by Baylor and just maybe got out where Baylor's guards were more physical I don't know if that's fair to say with the way the games are called but Iowa the same way that Iowa was definitely outplayed by Gonzaga and you think okay if you get into an elite eight game against one of those top three or four teams can these can can Iowa and Illinois rise up? I think it'll be a lot of it'll come down to turnovers, three point shooting, all those things that matter. But both teams 
I think you guys would agree, would have to get quite a bit better to go to the Final Four and, and face a team like those two that they played. Where is Iowa, in your view, defensively right now? Well, I was really concerned about them a couple weeks ago. I was breaking down some tape, and their pick-and-roll defense was not good. The last couple games, they've been really good defensively. They were fantastic at Maryland the other night on that end of the court. Uh, they had a great defensive plan against Purdue. That's really the key with them. If, if they can guard, and they have tremendous individual defensive players, uh, a lot of good one-on-one defensive players, but collectively they're just hot or they're cold and not quite sure what it is. But right now, Lauren, they're playing as well defensively as they have all year, and that's why they're just so difficult to beat because – Luca Garza on a bad night is worth 22 points and 12 boards. That's yep. on a bad night. Yeah. And uh, the way he stretches the floor, we've never seen – we haven't seen too many seven-footers who not only can spot up shoot, but he can he can come off a screen and shoot a three-point shot. Yeah. And that puts so much pressure on a five-man defensively who, even if you can rough Luca up around the rim, he can stop step out and hit three threes in a row and uh, demoralize your defense. Yeah, he can go outside, that, that which is, uh, is really tough for Kofi because he doesn't like to guard yeah. out there, uh, you know. And, and but uh, I would say that you're he is surrounded by some really good three point shooters, particularly if Bohannon is back. And I see, you know, at the beginning of the season he didn't look very sharp, and now he's starting to score again. He, he he's could, had a nice three or four games here. He he was struggling. He came off some hip surgeries. Uh, C.J. Frederick. Um, he's kind of flying under the radar. Mm-hmm. He's a big-time player, plays his best in big games. Jack Nungy has improved. Uh, Kenyon Murray, who I played with at Iowa, has a son, Keegan Murray, who's just been come out of nowhere. He comes off the bench and almost a double double threat every night, of a very active player. So, you know, we know what Kofi and Luka can do, but obviously what Io can do, but it's Corbello and Miller and uh, Williams and, all these role players, somebody's going to have to step up in that game and, and get that 18 to 20 points that maybe both coaches are not expecting. But um, I don't know, where is that Iowa-Illinois game? Is that, it's where, here. You guys know where that is? It's in Champaign. It's in Champaign. Mm-hmm. So, boy, that'd be, that's going to be must-see TV. But somebody will have to step up, and both teams have guys who definitely can step up. Real quick, uh, Jess, what are your thoughts on Michigan? They've... They've got. Uh, they're still undefeated. Five and zero in the Big Ten. They don't come to Champaign. They don't uh, uh, play at Wisconsin. I don't think. And well, Rutgers and Iowa. I think. Rutgers and Iowa. Okay. Yeah. So th- their schedule is favorable to them. But what do you think of uh, their ball club so far? Well, I've been. Uh, I've been very impressed. I- I'm a little bit surprised. I didn't think they'd be able to put it together this quickly. I thought when Xavier Simpson and John Teske left last year that that would be too difficult to overcome. And, and I, there was talk that last year when the tournament ended early, there was talk that, that seniors would be able to possibly come back. And when they said that that wasn't going to be able to happen, I just thought Hunter Dickinson and Smith and the younger guys would have a ways to go. I, I even think Dewan Howard, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he was planning on riding Austin Davis at that center position. And now and then he got banged up, and then Hunter has just played at an All-American level. Smith has been outstanding. Wagner's been outstanding, and you can go on and on. I mean, Livers doesn't even have to be their main guy every night. They're they're the real deal. Um, and yet they've got some big challenges ahead. Like I said, it's just so hard 
for me to sit here and say, yeah, somebody's going to run away with it. When a team like Michigan could lose three games in a row and be right back in the middle of the pack, uh, outside of Nebraska, I just you don't see any game where it's like, man, we're, we're probably going to win this game tonight. It's every, You have to fight for every possession. Good stuff. Just settles. We appreciate your time talking Big Ten basketball. Hope to do it again here before the season's over. Hey, anytime, guys. Enjoyed it. You Thank bet. you, Jess. It is 1020. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We had an open line coming up until 1030 after uh, the break. Stay with us. We're back with more in just a moment. Ten twenty-two. Hearing that ribeye commercial, I can't wait for the days to get back in the ribeye. Me too. And other local restaurants, and hopefully that's coming along here before Love that too long. Walk through salad. Yeah, you do, and uh, yeah, one of the many places that uh, you miss going to. Phone line is open three five six nine three nine seven. Little breaking baseball news: Kyle Schwarber, former Cubs outfielder, has agreed to a one-year deal, ten million dollars, with the Washington Nationals. That word coming in this morning. Let's go back to the telephones and go down to Arthur, Illinois. Richard is with us. Hey, Richard. Good morning. How are you today? Good. How's it going with you? Well, just fine. I want to revert back to Illinois recruiting. I have a good friend that's on the end with the Ohio State people, and they have a program over there I've never heard Illinois having. They start out when a family has a newborn child, there's someone from the Ohio State staff gets in there presents the kid with a little memorabilia of some type with Ohio State on it. They follow those kids all the way through grade school and high school, and it really gives them an end with their kids in their own state. I'm just wondering if Illinois has any kind of a program like that. Well, that is true. Ohio State does. They give a little mini football to uh, newborn baby boys in the in the state of Ohio. All of them? I think so. <laughs> Come on. I can't remember. I don't remember getting one myself. I'd like back to have the, the franchise day. on small footballs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but that dates back to uh, Woody Hayes' days. And uh, as, to answer your question, I don't know that there's anything quite like that at Illinois or anywhere else that I'm aware of, but uh, interesting well, interesting thought. You mean from, from, from Cleveland all the way down to Cincinnati yeah. and the whole state? <laughs> that every kid that's born gets a football? Come on. Who can afford that? That'd be a full-time job for somebody just to manage that. (laughs) You'd have to have somebody permanently living in the hospitals. (laughs) And I I wonder if if that would make much difference in the long run, but uh, it's kind of an interesting thing, though. Well, how how many players do they recruit out of Ohio anyway? In the course of, let's say, 20 recruits, how many would be out of Ohio? Less than half, right? Probably, but they'd they'd get the top 10 ones in most cases. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's all. I'll let you folks can talk about that, and thank you for the interview. Okay, yep, thanks, Richard, for taking time to call. 356-9397 is the number if you'd like uh, to join us here. We're going to talk golf with Mike Small coming up. I want one more comment about baseball. Yes, sir. The Swerver thing is mm-hmm. just another example. The Cubs and the Cardinals are just sitting on their tails and they're not there. It they're, looks to me like they're just going to ride it out this and save as much money as possible. And everybody else in the division is doing the same thing. And well, the it's, Mets and Padres are the ones right. that are that are going after players. But I mean, in the, in the that Lindor trade's a heck of a trade, and 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 now the Cubs and and the Cardinals are just kind of uh, I don't know. They think they can maybe win. You know, they're they're still hopeful. They think they can win the division because everybody's doing about the same thing. The National League Central. Your division title here. Who wants it? Yeah, because <laughs> nobody's 
showing much about wanting it. And uh, But that news uh, just coming out that Kyle Schwarber is heading to the National League East to get with the uh, Washington Nationals. Reading Bernie Miklas today, I told you about mm-hmm. he, he used this thing on Buster Olney's list. That he only listed the top ten players at each position in the National League, and the Cardinals had one, one player listed in the top ten at his position. Not the shortstop. Molina doesn't count. Goldschmidt's the only one. First he was baseman. ranked number three at first base. All right, let's go back to the phone. Steve is with us. Hey, Steve. Good morning, fellas. Hey, being Cardinal fans, I thought you might appreciate this story. I've been a Cardinal fan since the 50s myself. My wife and I uh, were in St. Louis at probably a restaurant you've been in, Guido's, Charlie's Guido's, in downtown St. Louis. And uh, we were the only ones in there, and I was holding our uh, young baby. And uh, Tommy Lasorda came in with all of his coaches and the mayor of St. Louis, and, you know, if you've ever eaten there, they got a, had a big round table in a corner, and it said Tommy Lasorda's table. And uh, my wife said, who's that? And I said, that's Tommy Lasorda. And she said, do you want his autograph? Because I was holding the baby. And I said, sure. So she goes over to the table. Tommy stands up very politely and says, says would you like to meet my staff? And goes around and introduces all of his staff and, and then introduces the mayor of St. Louis. And they passed around a paper. She got all the signatures. And he said, by the way, are you uh, baseball fans? And she said, yeah. And she said, go, he said, you going to the game tonight? And she said, yeah. And she said, he said, well, who are you rooting for? And she said, well, we're Cardinal fans. And he goes, did Whitey Herzog introduce you to his staff? (laughs) 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 That's pretty good stuff there. Yeah, he is a great guy. He was very polite and just just fun to be around. Yeah. Hey, Steve, thanks. That's a a good story. We appreciate you sharing that with us. Let's go back to the phones. And uh, Richard is with us on line two, I believe. Go ahead, Richard. Hello, Steve? Yep, go ahead. Lauren? uh, Yeah. Did you notice the NFL schedule today didn't strike you as really stupid? I don't know. I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know it was stupid. I saw the schedule. Well, Indiana at Buffalo, the Rams at Seattle. Yes, Indiana plays Buffalo. Then you got the West Coast teams, uh, Seahawks and the, and the Rams, playing at uh, four. And then you've got the East Coast team, the Bucks and the Washington, whatever they are, uh, playing at eight o'clock at night, which is nine o'clock their time. I, I thought, boy, that's stupid, stupid scheduling. Uh, hmm. Maybe, uh, Lauren, you can give a call and get them to switch it. <laughs> I don't think they're going to pay attention to me. Hey, Richard, you got as much chance as he does. So why don't you make <laughs> the call? Right. <laughs> okay, bye. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. We appreciate it. strange, it. isn't it? Yeah, let's go down to Taylorville. John is with us. Hey, John. Hi, guys. I was sad to hear the news about Lonnie Perrin's passing. You know, in the uh, early 70s, it Get, wins were short, so sometimes we got excited about plays. And there was that play in 1972 in the opening game kickoff. He threw that cross-field lateral uh, to Georgia Removich uh, against uh, Indiana for that 98-yard kickoff return yep. that uh, we talked about for years. But you know what sometimes people forget is what happened the next game. Uh, we received to open the game against Wisconsin, 
And um, Uremovich uh, was in the same position. Perrin started to run. He stopped. He cocked his arm back. Wisconsin had scouted Illinois the, the game week before. Eleven defenders started running at Uremovich. And then Lonnie Perrin tucked the ball under his arm. He didn't lateral that next game. And he didn't score a touchdown, but he ran 50 yards. So that was such excitement. And what an athlete, as you said earlier, a lot of sports. He'll be missed. Thanks. Yep, thank you, John. I, I got one real quick story to tell you about Lonnie Perrin. He was okay. a terrific basketball player. And during the, the winter, uh, the Bears brought their members of their team down to play a basketball game against Illinois football players. Mm-hmm. This is Bear football players against Illinois football players, and they named Lauren Tate as the coach of our team. I was the coach. About halfway through that game, Obradovich and Lonnie Perrin got into it. I mean, they were they had to be separated. They're mad. Both of them are mad. They're, and I, I walked out to Lonnie, and I says, Lonnie, come over and sit down on the bench with me. You need to relax. And Lonnie turned to me, and he says, I'm not coming out. And I looked in his eyes, and I said, Lonnie, you stay in. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to punch me out if I try to take him out. So you were the coach. I was the coach. Did you get a technical in the game? No. No, no I don't think they called technical. <laughs> they should have. But I, but uh, it got heated. I mean, it got really heated. And Lonnie was not coming out. He wanted to battle all the way to the end. Let's uh, go back to the phones in Chicago. Dirk. Hey, Dirk. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Yeah, hey, good morning. I... Uh the earlier question from the caller asking about players who wanted to come to Illinois, um, I thought of a guy, and the question before that, Marty was talking about the high post attack against Northwestern. I thought of the same guy, and it was DeMonte. Um, I thought he did pretty good in the second half, pretty strong with the ball, made some nice passes. Um, and uh, I'm guessing he, he wanted to come to Illinois. I know he had the knee injury that maybe sealed the deal. I, I don't know how heavily he was recruited or how much he flirted with going somewhere else. I, I don't know if you guys recall that. Well, I don't know that. I, I think that the fact that he's uh, Frank Williams' son had an awful lot to do with it, and I think that when you got a family connection like that, that does affect it. I when I when I look back, I, if you look back 40 or 50 years, if you look back to Rick Schmidt and Dave Scholes and some of those guys, so Dave was from Decatur, of course, and and Rick was from St. Joe Ogden, uh, you would have uh, you would have players like that that wanted to come to Illinois. I know Harv Schmidt once told me he said he never considered anything. He wanted to come to Illinois. That's what he wanted. He he said he talked to Harry Cohn's five minutes and it was over. That was the recruitment. But I, it's just so different now in, in this era than it was in that past era. You may be right about DeMonte Williams because that, that is current. And, uh, but I don't know what's Frank's situation. I think Frank just came because uh, the other two were already Griffin and, uh, and uh, McLean were already, well, the, the father of McLean was already a coaching right. there too. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of factors involved there. Yeah, well, I remember DeMonte in high school. At one point, he was a pretty highly rated recruit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, uh, he was. The other thing about him um, is, I, I think, is he on pace to end up as uh, the Illinois single-season record holder for three-point percentage? Well, yeah, he's on pace to do it, I'm sure. Long way to go on that. Uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, got to keep making two <laughs> out of three. 
Yeah, right. Well, and uh, if he keeps that up, he he also reminds me a bit of Pierre Thomas, who was, uh, I, I think, was he our career leader in uh, kickoff returns? Yes, um, he was. But, mm-hmm. but yeah. when he was here, he was split in time, and he didn't really get, he wasn't featured as you would think he would be after, the, you know, considering right. the career he had. He, yeah, had he, he had a very unique ankle problem that really limited some of the time that they wanted to you know, they weren't going to put a heavy load on him. They were trying to protect him. Hey, Dirk, appreciate the call. Thank you very much. Good points there. Need to take a break at uh, 1035. We're going to talk some golf with Mike Small when we come back here on DWS. 1036, Lon and I Saturday Sports Talk. Steve Kelly, Lauren Tate with you until 11. During that break, I heard from our friend Kedrick Prince, who follows recruiting a little closer than uh, you and I do, but he said DeMonte Williams was not a lock for Illinois, that Indiana was very much in the uh, picture for him. So now that's not to say that Illinois wasn't his dream school, but uh, it was not a said and done deal right away there. So There's just almost no one who wasn't heavily recruited by someone else, and when you are heavily recruited, you have to take notice. You know, I, I I just don't know anybody lately that it would be that way. I'll Maybe. tell you, I'll tell you a guy who was a lock for Illinois, and he's on the phone with us now. He's a line I head golf coach, Mike Small, <laughs> from Danville, Illinois. How you doing, Smalley? Good morning, Steve. Lauren, how are you guys doing? We're good. Happy New Year to you. Are you uh, finally getting a getting an idea when uh, your golf team will be back in action? We are. It's all starting to come to. Uh come in place now and it's an exciting time we had a little team meeting yesterday about uh, getting th- getting things kicked off and our first event is going to be february 6th and our schedule probably will be released this week um uh, pressure release going out this week about uh our eight uh, seven eight tournaments we have this spring and uh, while many other sports um not including football and basketball uh, some of the other sports uh, have been confined basically to uh, big 10 play you in golf, you get to not have to deal with that. Uh, certainly, you'll have the Big Ten Championship later on, but you'll get a chance to move around and play against the different conference teams, right? Well, that's right. That was We, had, we got great news back in um, late November, early December, that uh, golf and rowing are the only two sports in the Big Ten Conference that don't have to play in conference competitions only. Um, I guess the, the nature of our sports, obviously, and and the weather that we're found, we find ourselves in, um, they're letting us play a national schedule, which is a great break for us. And we're going to be able to travel uh, unrestricted and play other conferences all spring. So it's, uh, it's, the guys are excited to hear that. Obviously, if we played golf just in the conference footprint, we wouldn't be able to play till April. And by then, the season's almost over and NCAAs are starting. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful uh, to the Big Ten Conference administrators that saw that, that saw golf as kind of a unique situation. And you know, we don't have a conference schedule anyway. You know, baseball has right. the same situation we do with weather, but they play a conference schedule and head-to-head competitions, and we never have. You know, I think 8% of our schedule over the years is considered a conference schedule, and that's only one tournament, the Big Ten Conference Championship. So for us to be able to have a good chance to make the national championship or make NCAA regionals, um, our Big Ten schools needed to play a, uh, a national schedule. So the Big Ten Conference saw that, and it, uh, it was great news. And some other good news. You've got a couple of guys that decided to come back for what turns out to be a, a graduate uh, season uh, with your team. Talk a little bit about uh, Fiegels and uh, Datiato coming back uh, to the ball, to the uh, team and uh, experiencing and lending some 
quite a bit of uh, leadership and experience to your team. Well, that's that's right. Uh, you know, these two guys have won, have been part of three straight Big Ten championship teams, and they wanted to have a fourth. And and uh, obviously, we got cut short last spring. So, you know, those these two guys wanted to come back, continue their education, uh, get some graduate degrees, and and chase another championship. And 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 our team is bigger because of that. Obviously, our numbers are greater, so our competition amongst our team is stronger. And the experience these guys bring back. You know, they both played in an NCAA Final Four. They've uh, they've played a national amateur schedule uh, worldwide, really, and um, so they bring a lot of uh, uh, experience. Um, but they but but like I said, they bring that hunger, Stevie. They wanna they wanna play. They wanna be Alana. They wanna they, they wanna leave a, a, a unique legacy, um, a championship legacy. And um, to have those guys come back means a lot. And uh, we added a couple of good talented freshmen too. So it's gonna be exciting for uh, for us, especially the coaching staff this spring, to finally get out and see our guys mix it up in competitions and uh, and be able to work with them. Then you know we we haven't. I haven't walked with my guys uh, during a round of competitive tournament golf since last March. That's almost 10 months now, and uh, that's where a lot of our work is done, a lot of our improvement is done. And um, the guys have played individual events on their own. They've traveled around and played played all fall and even into the winter. Guys are playing as we speak right now somewhere, but um, but we're not allowed to be with them. So to uh, you know to bring that experience back with those seniors and also be able to work with the young freshmen and get out with the team here in what less than a month now for our first event is a big deal for us and. Um, we're, you know, we're looking for a lot of improvement. There's a lot of uh, a lot of success this spring. Uh, Mike, this is Lauren. What what have you been able to do indoors in your facility? And are you able to hit out of the bays? Or what are you allowed to do uh, as far as the facility is concerned? Oh, we can do everything. Um, okay. We're, the the COVID rules. We have to follow certain COVID rules. Obviously, distancing and masks inside. But uh, besides that, uh, we're allowed to do whatever we want um, within the scope of the season. Um, the guys aren't here right now. Obviously, they're coming back here in about a week, week and a half before school starts because classes got pushed back a week this spring. But uh, once they get back, we're good to go. We are adding on to our facility. We're putting a $2 million addition, uh, a big putting studio, and three uh, three more hitting bays right now currently on our facility. So part of the facility is probably going to be uh, restricted because of the construction. But besides that, we're a full go, Lauren, and uh, the guys are excited to get back. Like I said, we had a meeting yesterday on Zoom, and um, – talking about a lot of the things that are changing this spring with the COVID rules and the social distancing and the, the travel differences that we have to take and make, um, especially now that we're playing a national schedule, um, you know, m- more than the other teams here in the department. So a lot of, a lot of prep work, um, a lot of uh, just stuff talking about particulars and how we're going to go about our business. But, um, but the, the, you know, the conversations always come back to golf. It always comes back to, you know, how are we doing? What do we got to do to get better? And that's what's, that's what's exciting to me. Can you tell us a little bit about the, where you're going to be going in, in, in early February and how you're going to get there and how do you travel? How do you stay? I mean, what's the situation in the hotels that that you must be staying in? <laughs> well, that's right. You know, we don't travel big parties like basketball or, or football does or even some of the other sports. We kind of have a nimble nimble unit of, of six players, five or six players and a couple coaches, so we can kind of maneuver and, and kind of stay socially distant ourselves. But our schedule we just finalized not too long ago because a lot of the events this spring um, um, were on uh, originally scheduled, but some have been added new because of the whole uh, college golf landscape schedule thing changing this spring. So uh, we're heading to Florida for a little match against uh, Illinois State like we always do every year to kind of kick off the season and, and get some reps in. And then we head to uh, to Mobile, Alabama um, for, a, for a pretty strong mid-major tournament, uh, a couple top, top teams there. But besides that, kind of a lot of depth and, and – uh, mid-major southern schools and then we head straight to after that to, to lsu for a big sec tournament um 
a lot of the conferences have, have different rules, obviously, this year because of COVID, but the SEC played a full fall schedule, but this spring they're actually limited to being put to playing in their own footprint. I think more budget-driven than probably COVID-driven. So all the SEC teams have to play five events amongst themselves this spring um, in, in, in the SEC area, but they can add a tournament, a team or two into those fields. So we're going to go down and play in that event with 12 or 13 SEC teams at LSU the end of February, which is going to be a great statement, uh, uh, an opportunity for us to make a statement, but also show us where we're at with our, with our games. And then, uh, and then after that, we head out, uh, we head back down to Louisiana again a week later and then out West um, and then back to Georgia. So it's, 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 it's more of a Southern probably footprint this year because of the travel, some of the travel things that we're, we have to deal with. Um, we don't want to go too far, too extreme because of the budgets and things like that, but um, it's going to be a great schedule for us. And then we finish up in the big 10 with a couple regional events at Purdue and Ohio state leading up to the big 10 championship. So it's, it's, you know, there's a method to the madness. There's a lot of ebb and flow to the schedule. Um, we have to always mix and match competition and accruing wins and losses along with the ability to get better and improve. So we, schedule times back here in our facility to, uh, you know, to come back, recalibrate after our event, um, evaluate where our games are, and then uh, improve for the next one. So a lot of thought went into the schedule. Obviously this year we have more dates in the spring than normal because we didn't have a fall season. So uh, a lot more classes are going to be missed by our guys. But, again, our guys are good students. They handle that very well. So it's going to be an exciting time and um, um, different time this spring. But, you know, the goal of the end is the same as always. We want to contend and win a Big Ten championship and then contend for a national championship in May. So. Talking golf with Illinois golf coach Mike Small. You mentioned facilities a couple of times. What can you tell us uh, by way of update on the Urbana golf course situation, uh, the Atkins Golf Club at the University of Illinois, formerly Stone Creek? Uh, what's the latest over there? Well, it's moving forward. Um, I've had a few uh, – we've had a few conversations and meetings with the architect, Drew Rogers, who is now on board, and uh, he's in charge of the uh, – of the redo, so to speak. Um, it's going to be, it's an exciting time. It's going to add a little different flavor and personality to Stone Creek. Not a lot is going to change probably in the routing, obviously, because of the, the cost that would accrue, but we've had some really good meetings and some exciting meetings. And I've learned a lot about golf course architecture and ideas and how things happen. So um, a lot is going to take place. That's kind of what's going on right now. I'm not, I'm not privy. I'm not, uh, I'm not in the meetings about how the, how the club and how the, uh, the facility is going to be run. Um, but I am in the meetings about the diag- you know, the, the redo and the architectural changes to the golf course, which is exciting. Um, but you know, as well as I do think, uh, Stevie, things happen slowly in the, in the university, you know, instead of checking off one box for every step, you got to check off three, four or five. So it's amazing how slow this is going, but, um, hopefully we'll get this thing done here pretty soon and, and, uh, and give the people and you know, the golfers in Champaign-Urbana a chance to, to play something special, something fun, something that uh, is different. Um, that gives them a flavor of, uh, of what golf can really be like here in, in, in town on a big kind of long, modern, um, fun, fast golf course. Is there a golf course in the Midwest, Smalley, that, that maybe people would recognize and that you might foresee this becoming similar to? I don't know if that question made sense, but have you got some kind of something in your mind there that you might compare it to something that you've seen along the way? Um, well, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. I mean, it is, it, it, it is a housing development. So that's, 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 that's one common denominator of a lot of courses, a lot of modern courses, but, um, you know, Stone, Stone Creek, when it was, when it was built, Clint had a great vision, but it had its own personality. You know, it was, 
it was um, it was fit in the community, supposed to be kind of a, a magnet to the community, help help the community in Urbana grow around it. And the golf course was was wide open, um, windswept. It was it, it was designed to play a certain way, and I think over the years the way it was maintained and it evolved, it didn't play that way. So we're trying to get it maybe back to some of its its roots, if you will, and and and, and um, but also add some add a little new personality to it. So I guess there's courses around that that that, that may um, remind you of it but um our hope is, is that this golf course is going to have it's it's, it's going to have a little more uh pop to the eyes when you're on the tee boxes it's going to have a little different feel when you play it even though the holes are going to be routed the same um uh, or, or, or designed the same it's just it's going to have a different feel to it and then when you add the whole Illini um experience and feel out there the orange and blue the the history of Illinois athletics um and just the fun atmosphere I think it's going to take on a you know, maybe personality of its own, uh, combining a university setting, an athletic department, uh, uh, a history of a school, along with a, a fun, challenging experience to play golf on something that is um, it's just not um, uh, stagnant or soft or just kind of out there. It's got a little uh, personality to it, how it plays and how it's conditioned and how, uh, um, you know, how it receives shots and how guys uh, decide to attack it. So it's, it's, it's 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 a it's a big endeavor we have. It's something that um, we're excited about, and um, we have a plan, a vision for it. It's just going to be, it's just frustrating a little bit to see things happen so so slowly getting to that point. But we understand that's the way it is. So, um, but Jackie uh, Simoniak and the whole administration is doing a great job of getting this thing set up, Steve. And I think once you're out there and your people get it and see a part of it, once it settles in, it's going to take time to settle in. I mean, a lot of the bunkers going to be moved and and changed and and. Um, uh, you know, once that is done, I think people are going to be very happy with. It. Would you anticipate um, maybe a, a fall kind of opening for that, uh, or is it too early to predict that? You know, again, I think that's too early um, um, to, to to predict that. Um, it may happen, it may not. I don't I don't really know at this point. Uh, the meetings haven't got that far on on when this is going to be completed. We're just trying to figure out what to do. Um, but again, we've just been given the green light to do this stuff, so it's. Uh, it's it, it's happening. It's happening slowly. Probably not as fast as we all want, but we're going to do it right. And um, whenever the time comes for them to open it, and uh, and Josh and and Jackie are in charge of that. Obviously, we'll be right in right in uh, stride with them, buddy. But I don't I don't have those answers. I'm not privy to those, those answers right now. You know, you told me the other day. I thought it was interesting when we talked about uh, Stone Creek, uh, the Atkins Golf Club. You mentioned the greens and getting the greens back to their original sizes. Uh, tell me more about that. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a common theme in, in golf courses that have been around a long time. <clears throat> the greens actually kind of tend, uh, change their shape over time just based on the mowing habits, and they always tend to get smaller, um, and they always tend to get a little more round. They kind of lose their personality, if you will, over time. And not all golf courses, but a lot of golf courses have that, have that um, you know, that happens over time. So what uh, what we've done in the last uh, couple of months is they've gone out, and, and, and there's a procedure where you can kind of, you can, um, you know, shoot a laser or something down into the ground that, that, that detects where the, the old boundaries of the greens were originally designed. There's, mm. there's markers down underneath the ground. So um, Jackie had the staff go out there and, uh, and do that. And it's amazing how a lot of the greens, the personality of the greens have come back now, the fingers behind bunkers and, and a lot of just the original um, architectural um, intentions of the greens are now coming back. And, and they've painted, you know, they've 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 marked those those lines and those positions, and now they've they're they're, they're starting to, to uh, next spring and next summer the greens will be grown back and and be mowed to the original 
dimensions, which again, will bring some more of these um, bunkers that are going to stay there in play, but also the new bunkers. They're going to be able to position them in, in, in parts of the greens and parts of the, the golf course where they're really going to really going to come into play and obviously obviously add to the enjoyment of of of, of actually playing the game of golf or, or the round of golf so it's it's something that changes over time um and that's normal but it's always fun to kind of go back and see how it was in the beginning and kind of get it back to that smaller good to talk to you i can't believe this is your 20th year as head coach of illinois men's golf time flies when you're having fun eh <laughs> <laughs> you're not kidding steve it's been great though it's been a great uh a great career for me. I've made a lot of friends, and obviously we've done a lot of uh, things we're here that we're proud of. A lot more work still to do. Um, but you guys' coverage of us and, uh, you know, having us on in January to talk golf um, is special. And I appreciate you doing that for us, and I appreciate uh, all the people in town that support us and, and, and follow Illinois golf. And we're all in this thing together. And like I said, it's been a heck of a run, but we, want, we have more we want to do. So thanks for all your support. You bet. Mike Small, Illinois golf coach, winners of 10 of the last 11 Big Ten championships, trying to add to that streak coming up this year. 10-53, take one final break, back with some final words after this. Ten fifty six, Pella Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. We're with you for another three or four minutes. The Illini Pella showroom is open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, Saturday by appointment, They've got a lot of new products out there, including the uh, Lifestyle Series that is packed with innovation, including the option for their best between-the-glass blinds and shades. Pedal Lifestyle has style flexibility with a wide variety of inside and outside colors. Also, performance options to improve energy efficiency and reduce noises from the outside. You can see the new product and all their new products at your local Pella showroom, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. Window and door specialists can help you find the right Pella product for your home and budget. I've got some folks from Illini Pella headed to, to my place coming up next week. If you've had any damage from uh, recent weather or anything else, there are the folks to call. Check out their products and services online at PellaOfChampagne.com. Had a call earlier about Andre Corbello and assists as a freshman and ongoing in his career, how that could turn out. He's averaging 4.8 assists per game, that number a little bit higher in Big Ten play. But uh, Bruce Douglas is your assist guy and steals guy too. Before I do that, when I look back into this, I ran across something that really caught my eye. Steve, I'll give you 100 guesses as to who holds the freshman record for the most free throws made percentage-wise with at least eight attempts. At least how many attempts? Eight. At least eight. got to have at least eight to to count. Okay. It's Kofi Coburn. He made eight for eight against Miami a year ago. (laughs) You would never guess that, would you? Yeah. So you you lost me there. I was thinking season. You were talking game. No, one game. Yeah. Eight for eight. Eight (laughs) Okay, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the thing about Bruce Douglas is he's the all-time leader in – well, freshman assists and also assists overall. And he's also the leader in steals, which I find to be, uh, you know, an ama- I mean, he's overlooked him when you start looking at statistics. He's, a, he's one of the top guards in Illinois history. Now, we knew that, but, I mean, just to think that he led the, he, he's the all-time leader. In, and this is with people like Kendall Gill out there, and this is 
Jerry Carper, but, but D. Brown Bennett. had a lot of steals. Excuse me. D. Brown also yeah, had a lot oh, of yeah, steals. Yeah, D. Brown absolutely. So, in, in steals overall, uh, season average, Bruce Douglas is number one with two point eight. Kenny Battle second, two point five. Then Bruce Douglas, Bruce Douglas, Bruce Douglas. So, 86, 85, 84, and 83, Bruce Douglas has four of the top five years in steals. Okay. We've got Isn't about a minute amazing? left. So. And then Frank Williams and then Sergio McLean had 2.3. Harper, 2.3. Harper again, 2.3. So, that's it. As far as the assists go. Oh, assists? Yeah. I'm back to assist. Let me see. Real you quick, we got about 30 seconds. Well, I'm, I may have a problem then because I may not. We might have a turnover here coming, folks. Okay, assist. Okay. Season uh, average. Season average. Is this right? <laughs> we don't have time to check it. Uh, Dimitri McCamey, uh, 7.1. Darren Williams, 6.8. Uh, Tony, oh, this is. All right, we'll, we'll finish it up. I'm stunned. We'll finish it up next week on WDWS in Champaign-Urbana. Thanks to Lauren Tate. This is Steve Kelly. Have a good weekend.